We're going to step away uh, from our series that we've been looking in the life of Christ, and actually we're going to focus on communion uh, this morning, and by the time we get to the end of the service, we are going to be uh, participating in the communion service, and, and just so I have, don't have to deal, you know, talk about that as much at the end, um, as a church, we practice open communion, meaning um, this is for any of you who are believers in the Lord Jesus Christ. If you ask Christ to forgive your sins, that his shed blood covers your sins, we invite you to remember with us. You don't have to be a member of the church. Um, this can be your first Sunday. It doesn't matter. This is, you know, this is for believers to remember what their Savior has done for them. So we do invite you when we get towards the end of the service. Um, you know, if, if, if you are there, if you're a child of God, we certainly do invite you to participate with us. I got thinking about the communion service and, and kind of preparing for it and what communion is and, and this whole symbol that, you know, we do over and over again. Some churches do it every week. Some, you know, do it once a month. We do it about five times a year and as, as the Lord leads. Um, why do we do it over and over and over again? And, and, and the Lord led me to think that, that, you know, much of who we are is rooted in our memory. You know, we're made up pretty much of our memories of the experiences, what has happened to us in the past. We connect with our past. And as followers of Christ, our identity is also rooted in our memories in the past. When we forget what God has done for us, we suffer, you know, something I've called before a spiritual amnesia and leaves us tragically weak. But the answer for spiritual amnesia, for a Christian to, of not really connecting with their past spiritually, what Christ has done, the answer for that is worship. Worship. Every single worship service announces and celebrates what God has done for us in Jesus Christ. I was really focusing on the words this morning as the youth were leading. Those are powerful words, powerful truths about Christ's death, his burial, his resurrection, our hope, our heaven, all these things that have been promised to us in the past, the things that God has done for us, and, 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 and those memories. Those memories are supposed to invoke something in us as a Christian. We connect with it. It's not just worship isn't just the music, but in everything that we do, and every single Sunday when we come here, we celebrate what God has done through, for us through his son, Jesus Christ. And worship is a reflex to what God is doing in the past and in the present. And, and I, I think I can say with pretty good surety here that the, those of us here who are connecting with what Christ has done with us, the, to the greatest extent that we are doing it, probably we are most worshipful. I mean, there's times, I'll, I'll be honest, I've sat in a worship service, your mind is distracted, you're thinking something you got to do this afternoon, and, and you kind of, you get out of church and you think, ah, what was that? But to the degree that I connect, that I remember, as, as you know, the words are proclaimed, as the scripture is read, um, to that degree that I remember what Christ has done with me probably determines you, what you're going to get out of this service today, spiritually, from God. Worship is the reflex to what God is doing in our past, what he's done, and what he's doing right now. And the greater our memory of our past, the more alive in Christ we become. You know, it's, it's, the Lord continually calls us to be people who remember. In Exodus chapter 17, verse 14, following the victory of the Israelites over the Amalekites, 
It says, the Lord told Moses, he says, write this down as a reminder in a book. And he says, I want you to recite it to Joshua. Joshua is going to be the next leader. I want him to remember it. I don't ever want him to forget what God did in this moment. The psalmist wrote in Psalm 77, verse 11 and 12, he said, I shall remember the deeds of the Lord. Surely I will remember your wonders of old. I will meditate on all your works, and I will muse on your deeds. I love that word, muse. Have you ever sat there and mused on the deeds of the Lord? I mean, I get the picture of, you know, sitting out on a bench or something out on your porch, and just, have you ever just stopped, slowed your life down, and thought about what God has done for you? What he has given you in his son, Jesus Christ. And the psalm says that I, I do this, Lord. I just, I just want to sit and I want to slow down. I want to muse on you. I want to think about you. We remember when the Israelites crossed over the Jordan River. It is said as they crossed over the Jordan River, you know, that when the, the, the priests stepped into the water, it dried up, the water dried up, and they, they crossed over the Jordan River on dry land. It says one of the leaders of each of the 12 tribes of Israel were instructed to take one of the rocks out of the river. And they took the rock, and when they got to the other side, they built this, this pillar, this altar on the other side. And that altar was there so that later on, generations, as they were walking by that spot, and the kids would say to their parents, what is that all about? That the parents would help them remember and would tell them the works and what God has done in their midst. Memory, it's so important to us. And I think probably the most significant exhortation that we have been given to remember is given to us by Jesus at the time in the Last Supper. Remember what he wrote in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, Verse 23 through 26, Jesus is speaking. They're observing the Passover meal together. This is hours before his crucifixion. And Jesus says, for I received from the Lord, or excuse me, Paul is writing about what Jesus said. He said, for I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, in the night in which he was betrayed, he took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me and in the same way he took the cup also after supper saying this cup is the new covenant in my blood do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me for as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup you proclaim the lord's death until he comes every time you remember every time you remember christ shed blood his broken body for you you are proclaiming jesus and what a great remembrance that God has given us. And I think one thing that we have forgotten in our observance of communion, you know, because sometimes when we go through it a lot, and I think for the Jews, you know, going through the Passover year after year after year, sometimes, you know, we go into cruise control in it. And God doesn't want us in cruise control. We have forgotten the depth of the symbols that Christ uses to remind us. His body broken, his blood shed. And there's a real depth there to it. Let's talk about the bread for just a moment. We know the bread that they would have been using at the Passover would have been unleavened bread, meaning it would have been flat, it would have been hard, it's very dense. 
Now, we don't use the word leaven as much today. Uh, what we call leaven, you know, today we call it yeast. What they called leaven, we call it yeast. Um, yeast uh, has a unique quality to it. Just a very small bit of yeast, if you stick it into a lump of bread dough, eventually that yeast will permeate the whole batch of dough. So in Christ's time, when they cooked bread, they would always take, you know, they'd have this big batch of bread that have yeast in it. They would always pinch off just a little bit of that bread because they couldn't just run to the store and buy more leaven or more yeast. But they'd pinch off just a little bit of that bread. So the next batch that they made, they'd take that little pit and they'd stick it in there and they'd let it go for the day. And that yeast would make its way all through the bread. And this did day in and day out and day in and day out. You know, leaven or yeast, we know in Scripture, is a symbol of sin. Because, not because leaven or yeast is bad, because of the quality that it has, like sin, to permeate every single area of our life. Not just our actions, but our, our thoughts, our attitudes. And sin has that way to just permeating our life. It says in 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 6 through 8, it says, Your boasting is not good. Do you not know that a little leaven leavens the whole lump of dough? Clean out the old leaven so that you may be a new lump, just as you are, in fact, unleavened. For Christ, our Passover, also has been sacrificed. Therefore, let us celebrate the feast, not with old leaven, nor with the leaven of malice or wickedness, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. So this, this symbol of bread that we have you know, the symbol of this unleavened bread, it's talking about a new life that we are given in Jesus Christ, the sinless perfection of Jesus Christ's life that ultimately is given for you and I. So when Christ took his disciples at that Passover meal, when he took the bread and he said, this is my body, he was calling them to remember the sinless perfection of his life. This is my body. This is my life. This is the life that I live, sinlessly perfect, no leaven whatsoever in it. He was the one who was without blemish. He was the one who had no stain of sin in his life. Christ was saying to them, I am that sinless one. I am not guilty, but I will take upon myself the guilt of the whole world. That's a symbol of the bread. It says, then he moved on and it says, Christ took the cup of wine. And again, he begins to identify himself with it. He says, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. Christ calls the disciples to the blood. To them, it would bring back a whole host of memories. Um, I mean... How many sacrifices had they done? How many lambs? How many ox? How many goats? Turtle doves? Whatever it might be. That, that God was ingraining in them the truth of Hebrews chapter 9, verse 22. Where it says, according to the law, one may almost say all things are cleansed with blood. And without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness. This was so drilled into every single Jewish person's mind. The understanding that without blood being shed, there is no forgiveness of sin. And so can you just imagine, you know, Christ, all through history, as these things have been laying out, now Christ suddenly stands before them. 
And he says, this is my blood. He identifies them with it. And all these memories would come back. I mean, all the way back to the book of Genesis. You remember Adam and Eve, when Adam and Eve sinned? What's the first thing that God did when their sin is revealed? It says he took a lamb. He took a lamb. He took, excuse me, an animal, and he slayed the animal. Its blood was shed, and he took the skin of the animal, and he covered Adam and Eve. And that's what it is. That's where we get that picture of atonement, that the shed blood is a covering for our sin. That as a Christian, though I still sin, I still have this nature within me. When God looks at me, he sees the blood of Jesus Christ, a covering for me. He sees his perfect son. He doesn't see Larry Marvel. He doesn't see you know, my attitudes or my thoughts or my actions, whatever they might be. He sees his son, Jesus Christ. What a beautiful picture. All the way back in the book of Genesis. It was seen in Abraham. Remember when he walked up to Mount Moriah and he was told to go sacrifice his son, his only son, you know, Isaac. And he gets up there and he lays his son upon the altar and suddenly an angel stops him. And there in the thicket, God provided a substitute for the son. And that substitute ultimately gave his life to save the son, uh, Abraham's son, Isaac. What a picture of Christ, Jesus, going to ultimately give his life as a substitute So you and I, who call on his name, who know Jesus, that we can be saved. Years later, upon another mountain, that of Sinai, God would deliver to Moses the understanding of the sacrificial system. What offerings were supposed to be given upon the altar to atone for one sin or another sin that had been committed. Isaiah, he would then take it another step further as he delivers a prophecy telling us about Jesus Christ. He says in Isaiah 53, he says of Jesus he was despised and forsaken of men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And like one from whom we hid out their faces, he's despised and we did not esteem him. This is all prophecy about Jesus. And look at this in verse 4. It says, surely our griefs he himself bore and our sorrows he carried. Yet we ourselves esteemed him stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted. But he was pierced through for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities or our sins. The chastening for our well-being fell upon him. And by his scourging, we are healed. And all we like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. There was that full understanding before Jesus ever was born here, before he ever stepped out of heaven, he came to earth, that he was going to give his life as a substitute, as an atonement, as a sacrifice for my sin and for your sin. And so when Christ, when he held out that cup of wine before his disciples, and he said in essence, you know, when you see this cup of wine, You know, in years to come, when you're observing communion, when you see this cup of wine, I want you to remember that my blood was shed for your sins. Hebrews chapter 9, 28 says, So Christ also, having been once offered to bear the sins of many, he will appear a second time for salvation without reference to sin to those who eagerly await him, having been once offered to bear our sins. 
So today, this morning, we're going to remember the body of Christ, sinlessly perfect, without leaven. We're going to remember the blood of Jesus Christ, an everlasting coverage of sin to those who are God's children. And we're going to be called to remember this. Now the words remember there, it's the word zakar. And, and, and again, it has such a deeper meaning than what we might just have on, on the surface here when it's talking about remembering here. The actual definition, it talks about a remembrance that makes the object or the event makes it real, makes it potent, you know, almost like it's happening here and now. So this is more today than just a, a mental acknowledgement that Jesus Christ died for our sins. The Passover, our communion, is a time for us to remember the depth of it, to actualize what Jesus Christ has done for us, to personalize it. For me to remember that he died for me. And I know he died for the sins of the world, and that's going to cover you know, everyone here who claims his name and asks repentance. That's going to cover all, but, but I need to personalize this. That everything he suffered, everything he did, he did it to redeem me, to be my covering, to be my atonement. And that is what communion is to us. A, a reliving in the present of a historical reality of the past. I want you, as we are going to be handing out the elements and music's going to be played, I want you to actualize Christ giving his life for you paying your penalty, being the substitute for your sin. Because that's what worship is. It's a remembrance. A remembrance of the original event that was done for you. Through communion, you are identifying with the original event of the crucifixion. The body broken. The blood was shed. And isn't it interesting, after Christ's resurrection, remember, the disciples, they're all kind of scattered. And Christ is beginning to appear to his disciples. And at one point, he appears to two of his disciples on the road to Emmaus. And they began discussing the events that had just happened in Jerusalem. This is, you know, just a little after the crucifixion here and then after the resurrection. And Christ begins to join them. He begins to explain to them what happens. But they don't recognize him yet. You know, I don't know if God was keeping you know, his identity from them, or if they were just in such in grief or in shock at the events that had happened. But they don't recognize who Jesus is. And they come to the end of their journey. This is so neat. And they're all sitting down for a meal. And it says in Luke 24, it says, when he reclined at the table with them, he took the bread and he blessed it. And breaking it, he began giving it to them. Then their eyes were opened. And they recognized him, and he vanished from their sight. They said to one another, Were not our hearts burning within us while he was speaking to us on the road, while he was explaining the scripture to us? And that's what I want to happen to us today here. I mean, as, as, as we remember suddenly our eyes to become open to what Jesus Christ has done for us, our hearts to burn within us of God's love that he has for you, that he has for me, enough to give his life. 
It would go on and it would say in Luke 24, and they got up that very hour and they returned to Jerusalem. And they found together the eleven and those who were with them, saying, The Lord has really risen and he has appeared to Simon. And they began to relate their experience on the road and, and catch this, and how he was recognized by them in the breaking of the bread. We want to recognize Christ in our life today. Who he is, what he has done. And we're going to do that for the rest of the service, the time we have left. And I'm going to ask you to actualize it. We're going to sing a song or two. We're going to observe communion together, and then we're going to sing together. Um, I'm going to call right now the worship team, if they would come up with me. I'm going to have a word of prayer in a moment. And the men who are going to help us serve communion, if you guys would come up here, and if you would be seated, I'd appreciate that. Let's pray together. Father God, I so thank you that you give us that time, that you call us to just block out what is going on in our lives and focus upon you. To block out what's happening this afternoon, the potluck and all of those things, that whether we're serving it or just experiencing it. And to make this moment, to make this moment real to us to be reminded how much you love me and how much you care for me and to the extent that that love took you to the cross to die for my sins. And Father, I just ask you to open the eyes of my heart, Lord, that we might truly experience that this morning and we remember your communion.